from 1993 to when the NTN started was uh, that, that basically a decade was uh, something else. It really was something else. When the free ride thing hit in BC, I mean, we weren't on the coattails. You know, we were like sitting on their shoulders. Like we were right there uh, going along with it, along with actually Houghton, Michigan, and the crew that was up there at the time. Welcome to Trail Effect. I am your host, Josh Blum. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. Mike Burnett and Steve Farr are our guests for Episode 6, Mike is one of the main trail builders behind a lot of the trails located within the city of Marquette, Michigan. And Steve is the marketing guy at Black Rocks Brewery, also located in Marquette, Michigan. Take a listen and learn how Marquette has become one of the best trail communities within the nation for both summer and winter pedaling. Support for Trail Effect comes from Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Smith's is a full-service bike shop that is a retailer for Trek Bicycle Company and Salsa Cycles. Smith's also has a full line of components and accessories from Bond Trigger and other various companies. For more information about Smith's Bike Shop, go to www.smithsbikes.com. A special thanks goes out to Ben Wallenach of Mountain Bike Radio for supporting this podcast and to the people who have shared their time and knowledge. Without this, we would not have these stories to tell. This podcast is an Evolution Trail Services production. For more information about Evolution Trail Services, go to www.evotrails.com. We are. We're back with Trail Effect in Marquette County. We're actually recording uh, live at the Black Rocks Brewery right here in downtown Marquette, uh, one of the more iconic breweries that you guys have in this community. And today I've got Mike Burnett and Steve Farr. Steve is uh, Black Rocks and Mike is one of the forces behind getting trails built in this community. Welcome, Mike and Steve. Hey, nice to be here. Awesome. So let's hear. Let's get a little bit of backstory here on, on you, Mike, and how you got involved with all of this, where, you know, where'd you grow up and then how'd you get into, into mountain biking or bikes, just bikes in general? Cause I think you started out with BMX, you said. Yeah. So born in Lawrence, Michigan, about an hour West of Marquette, kind of between Houghton and, and Marquette. Started riding, uh, bikes right away. And in fact, my mom was putting training wheels on a, a little bike for me. And I, apparently that day I had learned how to ride a different bike, which was on a bigger neighborhood kids bikes. And She's trying to put the training wheels on and she's struggling and she's like, what is weird about this? What's off? What's strange about this? And she looked up and she realized I was riding circles around her in the driveway on this bike without training wheels on. So, and then it was right to the local like gullies and, you know, whatever you could, you know, huck your bike off of. I was, I was all in, um, not necessarily building anything, but certainly. You know, finding a chunk of plywood and sending it down a gully. It wasn't a sidewalk, I guess. We didn't really have sidewalks in the UP. And then, you know, kind of moved into the BMX, the BMX thing. We moved to Marquette in 1980. Wanted to do BMX really badly. Rode the BMX track probably illegally. Ripped around town a lot and, you know, kind of raising hack and eventually did get into BMX in 1985. Helped move the BMX track from US 41 where 
And it's kind of would up, be up kind of by the Econo Foods and Marquette right next to US 41, prime real estate. So we kind of got kicked out of there, which is the start of my career of being kicked out of things. <laughs> Moved the BMX track, helped to move at age 15 to its current location in North Marquette, which is a fabulous facility um, and right next to the mountain bike trails as well. And then uh, working in bike shops, bouncing around bike shops in Marquette. Fortunately, we have a lot of bike shops here still. I think at the time there were six. I think there's four or five now. And then uh, the mountain bike thing happened. I think uh, maybe 1993. I think I was working at Lakeshore Bike. And I got a stump jumper. And I, one of the first rides I went on, I kind of... It's like, be cool if a trail went here and kind of got down on my hands and knees and used my fingers and, and uh, raked in a kind of a horrible kind of fall line trail that we now call split tree. And it's been, that trail's obviously been redone um, into a little bit more sustainable trail, but that's, that's pretty much the start of it right around 1993. Cool. So transition forward. When did you, when did uh, NTN trails start as an organization? That's the organization you're a board member of and also build trails for when did that get started as an organization i think we started around 2000 2001 i wasn't on it on the board at that time um obviously was building trails like kind of like crazy and somewhere legal and somewhere something else anywhere from harlow lake to south trails to old weird things on the north side that aren't there anymore and then i think it was around 2004 I may be wrong on that, but the city was approached by a landowner that owned 24, a little over 2,400 acres on the south side of town. And the city was basically going to buy it or did buy it in the blink of an eye. And that, and then they came instantly to the NTN, you know, came in on trail network and said, Hey, uh, we kind of want you guys to work with us on this and manage this. We know you have a lot of trails and that was really the the big start of something really awesome. It was the start of the relationship with our municipalities. It really started um, to get more credible and move in the direction that we're at now. So let's let's back up a little bit. I kind of skipped ahead. Let's talk about how your 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 start of hand raking trails into the dirt, and then how that transitioned into where you know where you are. There's yeah from 1993. To when the NTN started was uh, that that basically a decade was uh, something else. It really was something else. Probably one of the coolest times in my life. Pre marriage, pre kids, a lot of time on my hands. College kid, you know, go out and get a rake and make raking rides. A lot of fall line trails. But the coolest thing about it at that time was when the free ride thing hit in BC. Mm-hmm. I mean, we weren't on the coattails, you know, we were like sitting on their shoulders, like we were right there uh, going along with it, along with actually Houghton, Michigan and the crew that was up there at the time. So actually, if you dig around a really cool video on it, I don't know how you'd find it, but it's, it's, it's pretty cool because they, it's mostly centered around the Houghton area, but there's a few times when those guys traveled down to Marquette and hit, you know, hit some of our stuff, but we're talking big shore free ride stuff that there's no videos of. Ladder skinnies. Yeah, and twenty five feet in the air, you know, oh, in wow. the trees, and then it just ends. And there's like a rock that you land on, you know, down the down the way. Fantastic free ride stunts, jumps, booters. So that would be like ninety six, ninety seven. 
So it was this, it was this uh, dance between making cross country trails. Cause I mean, after all, we were all riding on cross country bikes and trying to jump off things. So it naturally transitioned between, you know, a free ride vibe and a cross country thing, you know, on a Monday night, you're on your cross country bike, you know, Tuesday morning, you're making a jump Wednesday night, you're with, you know, with the crew sending it off this thing and hitting jumps. And then Thursday is another, you know, cross country mountain bike ride and a lot of hanging out, having a few beers after and trying to make it to work on time the next day at the bike shop, you know, 10 Oh five was a real round number. <laughs> 10, 15, something like that. But really, really, really cool, really good times. Some of those old free ride stunts can still be seen on trails in Marquette, like your mom, uh, which is a trail formerly known as your mom now. It's actually the print symbol on our maps, I believe. Uh, we got in trouble for that one. So we're, we're trying to clean up our act a little bit or, or a lot. Over on Split Tree, there's still, if you look closely, you can find an old ladder bridge, which is actually our very first bike magazine segment done. And Marquette, again, if you dig around a little bit, you can find, you know, some stories on that. I think it was uh, Bike Magazine's five best places to live and ride in the United States or something like that. And I think Portland was one. I think we were number two, but it wasn't really necessarily rated. It's just kind of how it went through the magazine. But yeah, that part of that stunt, which was like the, the picture in the magazine, it is still, you know, rotting, laying on the ground over there is kind of a, a dinosaur and a relic of past, past days. Yeah, that was uh, leading up until up to when NTN and the city started working together was kind of a wild west, lawless. Sure, some of the trails might not have been legal. The landowners most likely knew, but you know, kind of just let things slide. And a lot of times, we even before the NTN, we'd literally knock on somebody's door and be like, "Hey, are you okay with this?" And sometimes they were, and cool. sometimes you had really cool trails as a result. And to be honest with you, a lot of those trails around the uh, 2000s that they're, they're still here. They're, you know, they're, we, we have to move them every once in a while, which is not always awesome, but and costs a lot of money. But ultimately we end up getting usually a better trail and a more solid system out of the deal. Yeah. So one of the things that I think Marquette was also kind of a pioneer in is lift access stuff. I think over the years, you guys have had some lift access on and off at Marquette Mountain. Do you have Anything you'd like to talk about with Marquette Mountain? Because I know there's, I mean, I remember being there for ski races in the winter and seeing skinnies out in the woods out there. Yeah, you were seeing a trail called Circus um, and maybe Hemi because you could, you could, if you're a ski racer, you're definitely seeing Circus because it was between Rocket and Snowfield and between our two race runs or yeah. two or three race courses. That trail was gnarly. It's still there in some form. Although the wood wasn't treated or cedar or hemlock or white oak or whatever you're using um, these days to build you know, stunts out of, so some are there, some are gone. The ski hill is a, is a unbelievable thing. Uh, Marquette mountain, it's come and gone. Lift access is come and gone. You know, we used to ride the chairlift. And then last year, Andrew Farron had us thankfully riding on a shuttle that uh, trailer they had made, which is glorious. I think it hauled like 16 people at a time and all their bikes with one vehicle. And it was very quick. We had a great time. That unfortunately was kind of wiped out by COVID. And we're trying to work towards getting it back. And, you know, and uh, I know the new owner is awesome. It's awesome to work with. Uh, he's 150% into this bike thing, which I'd like to be about 110. <laughs> so That's good. It, it's awesome. They've hired a staff. There's a hill manager for the bike park, which is the first time in history. 
And he was actually hired before the hill, the new hill manager who they're looking for. So it's like, this is on my side, when I look at things like that, it's an unreal positive vibe, right? It's, this is like the missing link in Marquette, you know, like you're gonna, we don't have a whole lot of shuttle riding here. I think it's going to come over time and it needs to come at the ski hill. Like that's the place to do it. Their infrastructure, if you've ever ridden there is flipping gnarly. Like it's, there's rock rolls up there that are massive, the biggest ones around. And they're not like you just roll in nice and smooth on top. Like it's a rock garden into it, you know, teeter, teeter balance and send it and help you come out the other end where you're supposed to. So it's awesome, really good stuff. But you also need beginner stuff. You need the flow trails, the, the dreaded flow trails. And, it, you know, <laughs> but we, we need like beginner trails that attracts the, you know, family of four, the family of five. And they're really tuned in on that. Mm -hmm. I think we're going to see two flow trails probably right away in the spring. Definitely one will be opening up in the spring. Again, if the COVID thing passes and you know we get chairlifts rolling and that sort of thing, or the shuttle again, I feel like they're going back towards the chairlift again, which personally I love. The longer ride up, but at the same time, it's like, that's the vibe. So yeah, really good things coming from the ski hill. It's going to be really, really cool. So I know one of the trail networks that you're probably involved with the most is next to the Ski Hill South Trails. Let's roll back into that. You know, you talked about how the, the city bought over 2,000 acres out there. So how did that look like at the beginning? And where, like, what were some of the first, first trails you guys actually put on the ground that you could maybe see on the map today? First loop was the blue loop on the South Trails. So it's not blue. It's not an intermediate trail. It's probably Black Diamond XE Trail with a couple extra little tidbits in there even, that are even a little bit gnarlier. Very rocky, very rooty, very rake and ride, but at the same time, kind of not following the fall line in a lot of spots. And where it does, it's all worn down to roots and rocks now. So it's uh, probably, honestly, our most sustainable trail, even though it's kind of a rake and ride sort of trail. Then around that same time that that trail was going in and there were, there were many people that uh, Dan Moss, you may you may have heard the Mossy Trail. He he did the Mossy Trail, at least the original version of it. Girly Trail, G U R L Y. That was Dan. I mixed in a few links between there and here, and that Split Tree. I think Split Tree ended, and then Girly took over, and then I think I put a little connector into the Doctor's Trail and the Doctor's Trail's name because like two doctors went in and kind of hacked in another fall line trail. A couple of reroutes on that it was a little too muddy in spots. And then that kind of rolls into baby blue now, or you drop all the way down doctors, roll around through forget me not and climb back up towards the trailhead. Yeah. A lot of people kind of involved in that first loop, that first vibe. And I, but as I was getting at it about that same time, we were still rolling with the free ride thing. So there's a crew over on the Benson, bunch of shady dudes making really shady stunts. And it was, like I said, really cool. That's when your mom came about like the drop on your mom and a bunch of skinnies and really tall skinnies and teeters and drops and speed and awesome stuff. There are a few other trail names out there I can't even say. I don't know why I can't say them, but that's just how it was back then, I guess. Um, and I just, for the record, did not name any of them. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually in the... So in the, in the previous episode of this, we, when I was with Danny Hill, we talked about how this community seems to have some of the most unique or this county, I should say, has to have some of the most unique trail names out there, especially in the Midwest, but if not in the country or the world. Yeah, they're, they're interesting. All right. You for know, because sure. even Danny's got some pretty interesting names up in his Ramba trails. Yeah, like Dead Deer. 
Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably because they found a dead deer on the trail when they're building maybe, it. Maybe. Yeah. Hopefully. So, I don't want to know if there was another way they came about that. <laughs> so anyhow, let's roll into uh, NTN as you guys are getting a, a formalized as an organization and, and how that kind of looked and then how that dovetailed into the city. Because it's kind of unique that the city came to you guys to develop that property. Yeah. So again, happened like kind of the 11th hour when they were going through with their deal, purchasing land. You know, we got some sort of agreement with the city that was like build, maintain trails, ask permission. That still was pretty loosey goosey for, geez, probably over a decade, maybe even a little more than that. And then they started to rein us in even more, even to the tune of getting a cease and desist. Oh, and those which is where we live. Yeah. Like, uh, there's reasons trails get named cease and desist, you know? Yep. I know there's one in Arkansas. It's a fun trail. Yep. At that time, Carl Zuger was our uh, assistant city manager and head of Parks and Rec. His assistant at Parks and Rec was John Swenson. I've had meetings with those guys where we're really happy and we have meetings when maybe they're doing their job and I'm not that happy. But both Carl and John assured me to just relax. This is part of the process. It's going to have to go to the commission. That's like, it's like a four letter word for me going to the commission. You know, it's like the yeah. most horrible thing ever. But it really isn't anymore. We're all growing up. We're all getting a little bit more mature and we know how to, you know, work with these groups. We hired Lori Hosworth, formerly of Copper Harbor Trails Network Club, and she's been fantastic. She's, she's able to rein us in like all the volunteers. So I'll back up a little bit and Danny Hill can talk forever about this and people at Harlow Lake and probably anywhere in the UP and probably any trail network that's really doing well in the country and the world. It's all about passion, right? Mm -hmm. There's people in the background with passion, things get moved forward. So we're here at Black Rocks Brewery. They are, are probably the most passionate people I know in my, my life and they get it and they help us a lot uh, financially with space, with events, whatever. Literally, it's whatever we need they'll, they'll come forward with. But Lori was able to rein in our passion. So we're not getting in trouble, you know, so we're not building 50 foot death gaps over the Carp River, which was awesome. I hate, I hate, I, she's gonna be pissed that I said this, but I, I love her. I, it is, it has made my life better. It has made Marquette better. It's made the trails better. It's made Copper Harbor better. Her legacy up there is unbelievable. Like everything up there is because of Lori up until, you know, obviously when she came down to help us out. So I'm, I'm very thankful for her. I'm very thankful for our, our board. Our board is, they're rock stars right now to use a trite phrase, but they're, um, just had a board meeting last night and I, my wife sat on the porch on the zoom meeting and she kind of listened to the whole thing. And when everybody clicked out, she's like, well, it was a good meeting. I'm like, I, I, I said, I, I love our board. Like it's so dialed right now. We agree to disagree on a lot of things, but it moves the ball forward very well. We're very efficient right now. Even in this time, you know, we're still making things happen. It's not easy, but it's just I'm really thankful for them. Big time thank for them. So yeah. Um, sorry, I got a little bit off the rails there. So, anyways, working with John Swenson, he's now the current parks and rec, uh, head of parks and rec for Marquette, and we have a good working relationship. We meet with them regularly. We have a you know trail plan now. They know what's coming. It's not a surprise to them. 
we build at about half the pace we used to be able to build at mm-hmm. thanks to mechanized it, it's different for us than a private trail builder right a private trail builder can put an employee on a machine or or themselves on a machine for 8 hours a day yep. here it's we have a lot of equipment i think we're running something like in the county six six excavators right now varying sizes throughout all the networks excluding harlow lake and Maybe Ramba, but I think there might even be one up there, but don't tell Danny. No, nah, we talked about it. Oh, okay. <laughs> he, knows <it's> <laughs> he knows it's there. He um, understands the need. Yeah. So, <laughs> so a lot of moving parts and luckily we work well with the city. And like I said, they know what's coming now. So it's not a big surprise. And, oh, I was getting at our pace. So I, like volunteers can't build this quickly. And we have employees and they do sit on machines all day long, but then they're fixing a machine or they're moving equipment from one place to another. So it's not like there's constantly somebody on a machine. So we tend to build a little bit slower. I have a lot of open dirt right now where I've just gone and dug and then I wait for other things to help finish it like big work bees or Northern trail building class or, you know, some of the bike shops do volunteer days, that sort of thing. And then those kind of sit, you know, those projects get finished up. So we're kind of trying to button everything up. We've dug already. Yeah. Really kind of cool. So you, you touched on something that's kind of, you know, it's, it's a trend that the trail building industry has gone towards, which is mechanized trail building. When did you guys as an organization decide to go that route and what route did you take? Did you hop on Maniacs right away? I know the route we took in the cross was we got to get a ditch witch because we took the Mike Ryder class of ditch witches and, and eventually we got towards the mini excavators, but how'd that go down here in Marquette? Yeah. Uh, mechanized trends. Yeah. They, Everybody's following the trend who, you know, and now it's led by obviously like the rock solid crew and mm-hmm. a few others. So yeah, we, I think we started a capital campaign, not a capital campaign. It was a fundraising campaign. And I think that was around 2009 or 10. And the goal with that fundraising was to get our first excavator. So I think we got it in 2011. I'm guessing. So we're almost at, almost at 10 years of mechanized trail building. We still handle. We still want some gnarly little purpose. Uh, actually, the new build in Big Bay, we purposely left like a little section. It's like 20 or 30 feet long. Don't touch it. You know, it's under trees. You know, there's roots under there. You can see a few popping up and it's like the perfect line through those roots. So that'll wear down and just be a, a gnarly little root garden. So, but the majority, 99% of it's probably mechanized in Marquette. We have a ditch which. We have forklift for it. You know, we move things with it. We clean up the parking lot with it. We move snow with it to get the snow bike grooming equipment out in the or the what do we fat bike? What do we call snow biking? Is it snow biking or fat? We bike in the snow. (laughs) So uh, yeah, we bike in the snow. So yeah, so to gain access out of the garage because we get so much snow, we can't get out of the garage without moving snow. So we use it for that. It digs its way out of the garage after big dump. And then a lot, we have three, we originally got a 418, speaking of trends. And then we got, so we had three of those. We had a ditch, which we actually bought a ditch, which I think from track there used one from the farm, just still plugging along barely, but it's still working. Uh, fixed it yesterday. Then a U17 and then just got a U27. And uh, I've been personally on a, at the ski hill on a E35. Bigger machine, 8,500 pound machine. Our biggest no Cayman on machine is 5,200 or 5,600 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of great things are happening. Really cool stuff with a lot of mechanized tools and, and hand tools. 
So you've talked a little bit about the struggles and stuff. Are there are there any like public struggles that you want to quick touch on? Because you know, obviously, I think you know part of the point of this con this podcast is to get the story of how each community got to where they are today. And not every community can take the same path, and every community has different struggles. But if people can learn from what some of those struggles are and the successes, um, hopefully, other communities can take this and get inspired. So what what kind of struggles? Obviously, you know, you, you touched on a little bit with the city and and. I, you talked about um, the cease and desist trail. I've always thought we should name a trail red tape <laughs> because of all the red tra- tape you have yeah, to go yeah. through when it comes yeah, yeah. to government. Yeah, type great, of stuff. that's a great idea. Yeah, but what uh, you know, is there anything else you want to quick touch on in the struggles before we start t- before we get into the really good stuff of the successes? Yeah, the the struggles definitely. I mean, it's probably everybody's struggle is financial. I think our issue financially, it's kind of twofold. It's a small town first. This, the second one is the way we started. We started by doing semi-legally legal rake and ride trails. I mean, you go to Ace True Value, you pick up your rake, you know, like $21.99 or back then it was probably, you know, $11.99 for a rake and go build a trail. And all these trails just fall from the sky at night. You know, exactly. like we're, you know, and everybody's happy and the community sees them and these are our community trails. And it's not really how it really happens. And certainly isn't how it happens now. We have employees. I think the NTN has three full-time employees and we bring on about three or four part-time employees. I mean, that's not small beans. That's big bucks. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a small doctor's office and we don't make doctors kind of money. So um, that's probably our biggest issue is that people perceive it as the trails just happen. And now at this point where we're at, it's you know, like we need solid funding. Like we need hard money, not soft money. Like we need grants and you know, you know, federal funding and whatever you, you know, municipal funding, but it's just not going to happen. And I think even, even with our local municipalities, they're like, they've seen it all happen without them having to really spend money on it. Whereas, you know, yeah. you, you look at other areas, Arkansas, uh, Colorado, you know, even, even right here in the UP, there's communities paying for the trails to go in. Whereas our community is still paying for it to be done. And there's a lot more passion probably behind it. And there's a lot more buy-in from the community when the trail's done because they are putting their own money into it versus there's some sort of uh, millage paying for it, or which would be glorious. Um, but you know that that's probably our number one thing: is keeping the heat on, the lights on, the machines you know filled with diesel fuel, the employees rolling when the volunteers aren't able to do it. Fixing things, we you know we break a bucket and it's like on a machine, you know the bucket falls off or we snap a track in half and it's just like you get your stomach gets sick because you're like you know what a membership costs and you know that tracks like you know, thirty memberships, nineteen and a half memberships or whatever, you know it's like wow, it's really hard to you know you, I literally I, I see a track come off. I mean the track's going to go back on, it's going to be fine, but it's that feeling that the machine's broken and yeah. we can't move forward and we're I mean, it sounds crazy because I'm a 100% volunteer, but I set gnarly deadlines for myself. And, mm-hmm. and, and with the trail, within the trail network, like, you know, I'm, I don't know, I'm on two or three committees within the NTN and we're, we're all trying to work together to get, you know, the ball from or the bike wheel from point A to point B or the running shoes from point A to point B. And it, it's, we see when we break something that that's going to affect that, that end game, you know, and it's, that's a challenge. And then, I think you're probably trying to get towards the access side of things and everybody has trail access and knowing you were coming today, I was, you know, kind of 
in the background of my day at my normal job, kind of rolling through some thoughts on this. And I thought of like the kingdom trails out East and how they're, it's the land co-op and that sort of thing. And Marquette's a lot like that because the way our trail system is, we're trying to definitely connect the North to South and just the two entities themselves cross a lot of private property, municipal property, large businesses, board of light and power, the ski hill, you know, there, I think we have something like 88 or 88 entities where we need to get, you know, they're on insurance. And that's challenged because, you know, a lot of things can happen. Somebody can sell something. It's usually the case and the new owner doesn't want a trail on. So you got to move your trail, which costs us a ton of money unless a volunteer does it. A good example is the Mossy Trail move last year. That was moved by yours truly. We saw it coming. It was a great relationship with the, the landowner. They told us what was happening. We said, can we please move the trail? They said, yes, but we don't really want to pay for it a whole lot. <laughs> so when that happens and there's money coming in, unfortunately, I, it goes, I say unfortunately, because I may want to be building something else, like a really nice, sweet jump or something somewhere. <laughs> you know, I end up doing like a, a kind of a cross country reroute in a way. And I do it because I'm not going to charge anything. And then I bring in a volunteer work bee, or usually with me, it's probably the, again, the Northern, Northern Michigan University's trail buildings class. And we knock it in, you know, and it's no cost. Thank, thanks to NMU, you know, and thanks to people for donating money. So there's diesel and grease and whatnot for the excavator that moves the trail. But that's, that's great. We can do that at no cost. And, but we weren't doing something else we would have been doing if that didn't we happen. Expanding. We weren't expanding. We weren't moving the ball forward. We weren't fixing a section that was completely blown out. We weren't, you know, finishing up something that we were going to finish this week and move to that, you know, awesome new jump line or something over here, you know, and it gets put off to the next year. And I, I see it. A lot of people are like, when is that going to happen? You know, like you posted something. So, um, you know, like I personally post something like I have to stop doing that because then people are excited about it coming. Right. I'm excited for it. I mean, I think it's going to happen, but then, you know, boom, somebody buys some land and now we're doing that. And there actually is another piece of land that was just purchased this year. We are going to have to move another section of trail. And, you know, it, it's, it's like one or two sections of trail a year we have to do. And it, it takes a month, month and a half, two months to move one. So it's very, very much a, a, a struggle, yeah. you know, to like work through those things. So let's move into the, the positive side of things with the successes that this community has seen with, with your trails. We're, we're getting into a time, especially with COVID, this accelerated all of this is where I'm going is where people can really start to choose where they want to live and work. You know, especially with with tel telecommuting, virtual learning, you know, that whole thing just changed six months ago. And it was a thing before, but now it's a forced thing in some cases. What do you see the benefits are of living in this community and what the trails mean to this community? Yeah. So we've actually had quite a few people move here because they can live and work here remotely. And, you know, sometimes I see them doing that on you know, a rock in Harlow Lake or, you know, the side of the cell trails, or I've even seen people, we have power now at our pavilion, which is mind blowing on the cell trails. And you see people plugged in out there, you know, and wife and kids might be out for rip or the wife might be there working at work and the husband's out on his rip or, or they're both there. But yeah, that's been a really great thing. COVID's brought a lot of people here. Like our parking lot's packed all the time, you know, Tuesday night at 
you know, quarter to six. I'm like, you literally go, don't you people have a job? And it's like, oh, uh, they might not have a job and they're here having a good time, you know? So a lot of people are seeing Marquette and it's being sold to them in a very strange time. Because like a lot of our businesses close at nine. Yeah, we noticed that last night. (laughs) It's very strange. I've heard people complaining about it in public. People that aren't from here. It's like, what's up with the sound? It's like, you know, but everybody's being patient working through it. But I think what's going to come out of this is people are going to see Marquette, sells Marquette, sells the UP. They're going to see that this is a great place to do exactly that. So that that's that's been a positive because I'm I'm really pro uh make the population of Marquette grow like consistently but not like crazy not like Bentonville I don't yeah. want that kind of growth sustainable growth yeah sus- yeah exactly so like trails aren't getting blown out beaches don't have a bunch of garbage all over them you know the parks aren't a mess everything's still able to be maintained housing can keep up yeah exactly and um you know I think we're definitely approaching that I think trails is a big component behind that and brewery is a huge component behind that We've had a boom in restaurants here. We have tons of restaurants now, which are all kind of coming back now, thankfully. So that's been a really positive thing, and you know, awesome. So let's roll into some of the other stuff you guys do with trails. Um, you know, we're in Marquette. For those of you that don't know, they get a lot of snow, which means they probably were one of the outside of maybe Alaska one of the main pioneers when it comes to winter fat biking, snow biking. And let's talk about how that kind of revolution came here in Marquette and, and what you've done as far as, you know, just different equipment, pieces of equipment to adapt to like the grooming challenges. And right. Whatnot. Yeah. The Pugsley. Yeah. 2009, maybe, maybe they were out in 2007. Maybe I got one in 2009. That's why I think it's 2009. This is Zirple purple. It might've been another color before that, but I don't think, I think Zirple purple was the first Pugsley. And that's what started it all, I think, in Marquette. Worked at a bike shop or... Um, actually, I, may, I probably didn't work at a bike shop then. But over the years, I, you saw the, you know, the two rims welded together and a couple tires yep. or something. And it was all coming out of Alaska. And one of the publications with magazines or whatever would show a picture and everybody's minds are blown all the time. And you know, it was kind of always sort of starting in the back. It's like, I, I guess for me, I'd go back to the BMX days. We, we, you know, we'd have nationals in like Oklahoma or California or somewhere where we, and we can't ride like other places can, they can ride all year. So we're here riding. And, and this goes way back in Marquette. Like we have a university here and they all ride and snowbank riding became a thing. And there's like a whole crew before me that were shredding snowbanks, but handed that kind of thing down to the next person. Mm-hmm. Fortunately and unfortunately for me, I got sucked into that. I think um, grooming is real fun. It's a sarcasm there. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, people are always asking, "Yeah, I want to help. I want to volunteer." I'm like, I wouldn't let my worst enemy do this. Like it's it's gnarly out there, and it's it's scary in a way. But anyways, yeah. So needing a place to ride a bike, like there's no indoor place to go ride a bike here. You're trying to ride. It's you know cold like 20 degrees 15 degrees zero and you like bundle up and get on your 20 inch and take off for a rip around the streets and look for some kind of jump or something to make you faster so you can compete at the like national level it just didn't work right Mm -hmm. when the fat bikes came along it was just like the light was on or the light was there but it wasn't turned on yet and when those bikes hit it was like it's go time about the same time i bought a snowmobile 
And I, my buddy did market backcountry skis and he's like, I got a bunch of old skis, use these. Like they were like literally prototypes, bolted them together with like metal from Menards, put like a rubber thing on the back, you know, and you could, you know, it kind of made the trail smooth behind and went for it. And it sort of worked, but that was like the, the start of it, you know, probably 20, I think it was 2011. We started grooming as well. Went to the NTN and like, need a groomer. I need a snowmobile. You know, we need to do this. And they're like, you're crazy. So then like got my own money together, like yeah. scraped it together, bought a super wide track Scandic 500 or 550 fan, super loud. We called it old smoky blue smoke cloud all the time. Just wicked, nasty grooming snowmobile from like down by Escanaba on the su- Southern side of the UP. They were upgrading probably to a four stroke cleaner, quieter. And, um, took that and literally the kid across the street from me owned an old gas station. He's welding Matt Bielik. He's a pro trail builder now. NTN actually hired him to build trails back in, geez, I don't know, 06, maybe 07, something like that. But anyways, we just started, you know, Frank and welding stuff together and like, this might work and this might work and go use it. And that didn't work and lower this and let's make that adjustable and raise that up and down. And it was just a, basically a glorified snowmobile trail drag, kind of yeah. that sort of thing. Then, you know, you just start, well, this no condition, we want this and we want this. And we, at one point we made a powered tiller. We took a, a lawn tiller that you pull behind an ATV, cut it narrower, welded big braces on so we could slam into the trees. By the way, all of our machines, snowmobiles that groom the cell trails are about two to three inches narrower than factory. Not because we wanted them to be, just that's where they end up. I'm not even joking at all. Um, just they trees. just, they're smushed between trees all day long. Well, not all day long, but almost the whole well, time you're grooming. grooming. Yeah. Yeah. Rip, I've ripped skis off. I've come back with one ski. Thanks to the guys from Petoskey, if you're listening for Charlotte or Petoskey for getting me back to trailhead that one time. Every time I tipped over, they'd put me back on my ski and we'd keep on going. And just, it, 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 there's horror stories. I mean, it's really hard. It's really seen. People are out there like, oh, they're, it's only down a two track. And I'm like, thank God it's only down a two track, you know? Yeah. Like, you get into the tighter stuff and you're like, I, I, I go and ride the Ramba stuff and I know what they groom with up there. Yeah. And I see the marks on the trees and I, I, I shake a little bit because I'm looking at it and I'm like, that is way tighter than like anything we have on the salt trails. I, yeah. I don't know why you're, and they get another foot of snow. If we get two, you know, two feet of snow here, they get three feet of snow. Yep. They're just higher up in the hill. So, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm happy that they're happy, but I'm also thankful that I don't have to groom the Ramba trails. <laughs> yep, we talked about that. Yeah, it's so tight. And you know, um, but yeah, you just keep, you keep like trying things and until they work sort of, and sometimes they don't work and you post that the trails are groomed and you don't tell people from out of town. And usually the people from in town totally get the conditions and they just wait for the outer towners to pack it down for the in towners. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Having a lot of traffic definitely helps things <laughs> a lot out. Of traffic helps. Yeah. Have you guys ever tried any other machines? Um, you know, like in lacrosse, cause we don't get lake effect snow. We just, we get six inch snowfalls if we're lucky. We use a snow dog. Um, have you guys tried any of those other yeah, machines? Yeah. We have two snow dogs on the north side of town. Um, maybe even a third one coming or actually, I think we just got a second one. So I think we're good there. I know they're toying around the idea, uh, on some of the wider trails using a snowmobile. Mm-hmm. It's tough. Like grooming a snowmobile is really hard. Grooming a snow dog in some spots around here. It's, you know, quite hilly. They don't necessarily climb as well as a snowmobile does, which yep. isn't saying a whole lot at all. If sit and spin means anything to anybody. 
So it's a lot of jumping a lot, so, off the, yeah. off the back and letting yeah. it drag you up the hill. Disconnecting the implement, drive up the trail, dig the implement out, drag yep. it backwards, hook it back up, go to pull back over the pet, you know, the big hole you just dug, get stuck again, repeat, repeat. Now the trail's really hard. At one in the morning. Yeah, you're late for dinner, that's for sure. Divorce is imminent. <laughs> Kids are like, why weren't you at my choral, you know, concert or whatever the heck it is that you're missing? Yeah, it's time management for sure. So yeah, we actually a gentleman donated a Rocon to us maybe two years ago, year, year and a half ago. Um, we used that until the carb kind of got all gummed up and nobody's really gotten around to ungumming the car. But I think I've got a crazy enough guy lined up to take a look at it and maybe even ride it. So early season, when we get the first three, four, five inches of snow, we'll pull an old tire around all the trails. So between the riders and that, like there's a sweet spot, you know, where all the big trails are groomed, all the little narrow, tight, you know, bench cut trails are groomed, rideable, rideable. Uh, it's amazing, you know. So early season riding is probably my favorite. Yep, I would agree. Then, then yeah, middle of the season, it's just kind of sidewalk drags. You know, you see how fast you can go down these really wide trails. Some are narrow around here, and Ramba's narrower and if you want to challenge you, I always have Harlow Lake. Those guys ski their trail in and they may drag something. Um, we had another crew. It's, it fell off a little this year. Last year, I was a little bummed out about, but they um, took a lot of our existing trails and then renamed them when they groomed them for, for the, you know, the winter time. And a lot of them were dropped. How'd that happen? Free ride trails. They didn't re sign them. They just, that was the, on the DL. You know, one was, I think, let me think, it was like, um, Rock bottom to down dogger to Huxtables out, and it was called White Lightning, and it was sick. It was sick. I mean, like three, four foot drops, you know. And it isn't like you know the summertime. You got a little more room to land. You got to like land on these. And this isn't groomed by a Scandic. This isn't <laughs> two snowshoes wide pulling maybe a kid with a in a sled. You know, and the sled on is a, the groomer on a fat bike, which isn't a summer. Right. Enduro trail bike or even downhill not bike. Not suspended. Yeah. yeah. The, Maybe the landings were detonations. <laughs> yeah. Great times. Good times. So I was bummed that kind of fell off a little bit. That was a fantastic moment in time. So um, yeah. And then so mid season, a lot of that stuff sort of goes away and it's just like the bigger main trails, which there's still tons of. There's still probably 80 miles of trail, you know, to ride in, you know, mid February or beginning of February. And then the freeze-thaw cycle hits in the spring and then things get magical again. Sometimes we hit it where you can go anywhere in the woods and it's, it, you're, it's hard to time that. You're not going to schedule your vacation up here to hit that. Probably be in March. It's, um, that's a really cool time because going anywhere in the woods on a fat bike... I mean, it's really cool on skis as most everybody knows, but cross-country skis if you live in the Midwest or in anywhere you get snow. But you know... To have it crossed up really hard and then you get one inch of snow on top of it on a sunny day, bluebird, and you're just ripping through the woods. <laughs> go get let me get lost. You can go forever yeah. up here. Really cool. That's awesome. That's a that's a great story. So as we transition to to another segment, let's talk about your supporters. You know, we're here at Black Rocks. Black Hawks is Black Black Rocks is your uh, title sponsor. Do you have any other good supporters, solid supporters that you want to quick mention before we move into the Black Rocks segment? Yeah, there, there's um, a lot of its landowners, um, some of its board members, some of the board members have donated like tons of money 
uh, Rambling Man, as an example, was like one of our board members donated a bunch of money to make that trail happen. It was not cheap. That was mm-hmm. a private trail builder built that trail. Um, kind of a, uh, on the DL Memorial Trail. Pretty cool. Obviously, Black Rocks. A lot of the events. So over the years, Margie Gessick, the Polar Oil, um, have supported uh, heavily. There's I, I, COVID hit and there was a knock on my door. He said to Marquette and this guy, husband and wife standing there and they're like, Hey, we want to donate money to the trails. And, and they're big trail users, but they just like wrote a check, you know, 2,500 bucks. Yeah. Here you go. Make, keep, keep things going. You know, all the bike shops, the bike shops are amazing from quick stops, Tuesday night rides where they take one ride out a month and it's a work bee. So they'll, they'll ride into a spot and work on it. They ask, what do you, what do you need? Where do you need it done? And then they still give you tons of money, you know, so like huge. So the, the bike shops are probably our second biggest supporter in the area. And then it's, it's our business sponsors. So just like the bike shops, it, it's just random businesses throughout Marquette. Yep. I know Ember's Credit Union, they were the title sponsor for our Trails Fest this year and the Trails Fest got taken out. And they just recently just said, keep the money. And we made them a double black diamond sponsor. For the trails and it's just like yeah wow thank you that's like they get it you know and yeah. a lot of a lot of businesses closed they couldn't do it and that's i always say there's like three facets to kind of running the ntn it's memberships events and then our business you know sponsors and when COVID hit you know people are out of work the business is closed and your your events are gone <laughs> and your trails get packed yeah and it's just it, so you got to keep up with maintenance with that too yeah it's so we've had a lot of people step up this year to help, but um, that you know that's that's great. That's we're very thankful for that. And we there isn't a day that goes by that we're not thanking you know people for that. We're going to transition to the Black Rocks part, so we're going to take a quick pause here before we get Steve here on. Cool. Here we are with Steve Farr. Steve, you can tell your business title of what you do here at Black Rocks because it's it's pretty funny. Uh, yeah, my official title is Pirate of Propaganda which essentially encompasses all of uh, marketing, kind of, I guess, communications, merchandising, sort of interaction with the public. And now we, we all wear a lot of hats throughout this brewery. It's all kind of still uh, shoe strung together. Yeah. Mopping the floors. Yeah. yeah. So where are you from? How'd you, how'd you get here? Aside I'm, from a vehicle, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I came up here in my truck. I'm originally from uh, Minnesota. I came up here in 2004 to go to college at Northern Michigan University. I've always had some family ties to UP. My mom actually grew up just south here in Gladstone and both my parents went to Northern in the 70s. It's where they met. My dad got kicked out in 69 and 70. My mom eventually graduated. So I was able to get in-state rates even being from Minnesota because my mom's an alumni. I just coming to the UP my whole life for vacations every summer. I've always loved it up here. So when it came time for college, I applied to one place and it was here and I got accepted. So it came up. Let's talk a little bit about Black Rocks. You know, how'd you guys start? You know, what's your like? What kind of what's your claim to fame as far as brewing goes in this community? Uh, so yeah, um, the brewery was started by uh, David Manson and Andy Langlois in 2010. They were both pharmaceutical reps and then home brewers on the side. And I always kind of talked about how great it'd be to open up a brew pub, as most home brewers do. And their industry saw a downturn in pharmaceuticals, and their company basically said, "We're gonna." over the next year, lay off like half of the workforce or something like that. So David and Andy kind of kept talking that sort of solidified it like, well, our futures are uncertain here. Maybe we should jump in and actually try starting up a brewery. Luckily, Marquette was ripe for brewery at the time. Craft beer industry was kind of like 
the wave was really cresting at the moment, just kind of really rising. And uh, Marquette had one brewery uh, downtown. The Veerling has been brewing beer since the 90s, a small brew pub. Other than that, there was uh, no microbrewery in town. So Dave and Andy decided, well, maybe, maybe we should do it. And they had pretty modest goals at the time. Um, we, we still do have modest goals. And as you can see, we're sitting in a house. So their initial plan was, well, let's get this little house and we'll have a, a small little brewing system. And they sort of framed it around just kind of a great place for the community to gather. And they also told me at the time, I remember hearing one of the stories, it was a spot where you'd want to go like after a good bike ride or a good ski in the winter to come and have a beer and hang out with your buddies and, and just talk about it. And uh, so that's basically how it started in 2010. I uh, was also brewing beer as, you know, about 12, 13 years younger than those guys. I was in college at the time and uh, brewing beer in my home rentals and heard that they're starting up a brewery. So basically kind of came in here and drank just about every night <laughs> that they were open. And then after a few months, Dave, uh, I was sitting at the bar talking to Dave and drinking a beer and he's like, Hey, you want to work here? And I'm like, yeah, sure. So I started bartending and just kind of kept doing that. And as the business grew, I just kind of kept asking for more things that I could do. And like, Hey, mind if I do this? Mind if I do that? Um, I got a degree in business. So I was always you know, really interested in how businesses run, especially small businesses. And so I kind of just kept asking to do stuff. And luckily, they're the greatest bosses in the world where they're just like, sure, whatever you want to do, just do it. Uh, what, in, what info do you want? If I ask for anything, I'm like, yep, mind if I come to this meeting? Yeah, sure. Come along. They basically never said no to me in the you know, nine years that I've been here, it seems like. So my kind of title was kind of kept your own. And I sort of went over to handling like the marketing side. Awesome. So you guys are the title sponsor right now for NTN Trails. How'd you guys get there? And what does that mean to you guys as a, as a business? Well, uh, kind of like I said at the beginning, like the original founding idea of this was, you know, like I said, a, a good spot to come and have a beer after a bike ride or a ski. And David and Andy are both avid outdoorsmen and big bikers. And, you know, they knew Mike from being a Marquette and these people all kind of run, you know, we're a small town. So all kind of run in the same groups. And, uh, so it just came to, when we wanted to figure out who to support, it was like NTN was a natural choice. And we, like Mike said, we know that they always need money. So as the brewery kind of started doing well, we realized we had some money that we could, you know, kind of hand out and put it in different places that NTN was a great choice. And along with not just the money, we figured like, well, what other kind of resources can we provide? And space is one of the ones that we, you know, try to use a lot. Fortunately and unfortunately, as we've grown, our space has gotten smaller because we filled with more brewing equipment. But mm -hmm. Our production facility, which is what, about a mile away from here, is an old Coca-Cola bottling plant. When we first bought it, we had minimal, you know, um, minimal equipment because we weren't brewing as much beer. So we had a whole bunch of space. So it was we'd just throw parties because parties are fun. <laughs> so yeah, we had some great parties there. And so we'd usually do a couple different fundraisers throughout the year. The NTN Dirt Ball, which originally started here at the pub, or we well they had it in multiple places, but we'd host it here at the pub. Then when we had the production facility, we started hosting it there. And then uh, the winter kickoff party we'd do for helping with fundraising for the winter snow biking. But yeah, we just tried to... We figured that beer is great because it brings people together. And uh, if we can partner that with a way to raise money for the trails, you know, all the better. So if we can provide the space and the beer for it and then bring as much money as we can, let's do it. Yeah. So you guys obviously have seen huge benefits of being being part of NTN as a, as a small business. So that's, that's great. Are there any other organizations or entities or things to try to like community things you try to support here in Marquette to help? Yeah. We also, uh, it is? yep. We, we try to work a lot with the, um, the Lake Superior community 
I'm sorry, the Superior Watershed Partnership, uh, which is water is obviously very important to us. We're right on the you know, greatest body of water in the world, Lake Superior. We need good clean water for brewing beer. Anybody that lives here knows how awesome and important the lake is and protecting it. So Superior Watershed Partnership is basically, you know, their goal is to help protect the, the water. Um, so we'd like to work with them as much as we can. Um, also just any kind of, you know, organizations or groups that approach us and, and ask for help wherever we can. Like I said, space and hosting parties is one way they would like to help out with other groups as well. Sometimes even like NMU, like dance team. Sometimes we host, we have uh, beers that we put on tap or we provide, uh, you know, a certain percentage of all the beers sold go to different events. Um, we've done that through multiple different events and groups and in the community. But overall, the biggest has been uh, the NTN. Yeah. Do you have a specific beer that's aimed at mountain biking, such as like, for example, Copper Harbor has the Keweenaw Point Trail Ale. Yep. Pale, trail Pale Ale. Yeah. What do you get? Do you guys have anything like that that you really like to help show off your community? Yeah. The, uh, the 51K IPA, which is essentially our flagship beer just by market demand, which the name 51K originally came from the winter. The, um, and it came in on ski marathon, which is a 50K ski marathon and used to end at the Superior Dome, which is right down Third Street from us. So we'd start brewing that IPA for that weekend when it was held. And the idea was your race really wasn't over until you skied one more K up from the finish line up to the pub to have a beer. So that's 51 K. It's kind of like the 19th hole in golf. Yeah. That's the same idea. So that's kind of sort of taken the, uh, the role of like our sort of outdoor recreation beer as well. Yeah. It's uh, on the can there. It says, you know, portion of the sales are, are sent to, you know, the NTN and help them. Trails in general, recreation yeah, in general, recreation yeah. in the community. Do you have anything you'd like to add in closing before we wrap this this up on the sunny fifty one degree afternoon? I mean, kind of like what Mike said. We just the the trails and the organization, everything is built on the backbone of the volunteers. I mean, we play second fiddle all this. Basically, I look at it as like you hear Mike's stories about the passion and how committed everybody is, and that's how everything happens and how the ball moves forward and. If if we can provide a little place where after Mike slaves away and you know fixes a snowmobile for six hours inside of a trail where he misses you know his kids' dance recitals and whatnot, if he can come in here and have a couple beers, take the edge off, and tell you know war stories of his friends and be like, but it wasn't that bad. I'm gonna do it tomorrow. Then we're kind of doing our jobs. <laughs> we can just we can just kind of keep them going and and keep them lubricated and motivated. Cool. And it's kind of selfish because most of us at the brewery like to ride as well. So. You know, yeah. the more we help them out, the better trails we get to ride afterwards. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate both years times. I know it's really valuable and we'll get this story out and, and thank you again for being, being part of this, this new podcast experience. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Links for the various topics discussed in the show can be found in the show notes. If you like what you've heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. This podcast has been made possible by Mountain Bike Radio, Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and is an Evolution Trail Services production. If you have ideas on future communities or people to feature on Trail Effect, please don't hesitate to reach out by emailing evolutiontrails at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening. <laughs>